morning, Sunrise. Let's do a little stage change around here, and then we'll be all set. Well, if you want to open your Bibles to Psalms 22, that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time, and I am just looking forward to being able to bring God's Word to you today. You know, uh, one of the things I love about sharing God's Word, being able to preach here, is I I get this selfishness, to be honest. Oh, before I get started, I I need to dismiss children. Uh, If you're in the age of three years old to fifth grade, we have children worship. We have Miss Ruth in the back, uh, back there to do children worship. And also parents, um, if you got a kid who's a little fussy or anything like that, we do have our nursery open. Um, It's kind of parent staffed, so you have to, you know, can't hand off your kid. You got to still hold your kid. But we do have the live stream back there playing so you can still be a part of service and not be completely out of it. But um, I want to make sure you guys know that that's available to you um, or not. It's up to you. Um, But like I was saying, one of the things I love about being able to preach is it gives me an opportunity to just dive into God's Word in a way that if I was more disciplined, I would do all the time, but I'm not. Uh, And so this kind of forces me to to do some of the things that I love to do, to mine through Scripture, to to look at what does the text say, what what does it say in the context of the other text that's around it, how would other texts around in in God's Word also say about this, and also you know, what was the world like when it was written and uh, all of those kind of things. And so I love being able to do that and be forced to do that. That's part of the reason I love seminary is because it forces me to do that. It's part of the reason why I love preaching. And like I said, if I was more disciplined, I would just make that my normal, but uh, I'm not. So uh, that's one of the, 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 I guess, selfish reasons I love to preach. Um, But there are also just times where um, you can read a verse or uh, anything like that several times, but you don't really get it until you lived it. And what I mean by that is there's several times that you can read some of the scripture and you kind of understand what it's saying, but until you have that experience of walking through what it says, you're truly not going to be able to understand it to your heart, to your core. I say it's not until you've lived it and have that experience that it turns knowledge into conviction into something that you just understand deep down in your soul. And uh, a perfect example of this is uh, when I, uh, before I got married to my wife, um, I was the perfect husband. I knew exactly what it was going to take to be the perfect husband. I had it all in my head. I understood it. I watched my parents uh, go, you know, uh, be married and all that stuff. I saw the good, the bad, and I kind of had picked out, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I won't do that. This is simple. I got this. You know, I kind of got the gist down. I don't need to listen to anyone else. And uh, then, you know, now 12 years later, I can report to you that um, I was right. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, not at all. Uh, in fact, my wife would call me many things, but not perfect. Um, and so I, I can tell you that now, honestly, I don't even shoot for perfection. Uh, that's not even on the, the Richter scale. I'm just shooting for, you know, trying to be a godly husband, trying to just be in the ballpark of what God has called me to do. And I still fail at that. And now I understand much more that uh, I have to have Christ at the center of my life in order to be able to even love my wife, to be able to be a decent partner for her. And so uh, that's kind of where I'm focused now. Now, I maybe would have been able to say that before we were married, before 12 years ago, Um, but honestly, it would have just been words. It would have just been ideas. It wouldn't have been the conviction that I have now. 
this, this I know exactly that I need Christ to my core, otherwise I'm going to fail my wife, I'm going to fail my kids, uh, I'm going to fail myself. And, and, and that there, there's a difference there. And I think that same idea comes to when it comes to this idea of joy. You know, it's easy to talk about joy when life is good, when things are going great and you're just like life's just floating. But it's a completely different animal when the hard times hurt when the suffering hurts, when the bills pile up, when, when you get the, the, the conversation with your doctor that something's not quite right or your loved one gets that, when all of a sudden the world just stops making sense like you thought it was going to, how do we still have joy in the middle of those moments? And I think that, uh, you know, the, the, that process is, is talked a lot about in here in Psalms 22, of how do we have joy in the midst of suffering. And before I get too far into that, I want to I wanna go back to something I got to share with you guys way back last Christmas. I'm sure you guys all remember um, back when I was getting to, to share about this whole idea between joy and happiness and how they're not necessarily the same thing. Uh, the fact that uh, many times the world promotes that we should seek, seek happiness and have that as our ultimate like, goal is to be happy. You know, how many times have we heard, well, at least they're happy. I don't agree with what they're doing, but, you know, that's how they can be happy. But yet they really, truly don't have joy. And the way we can, we can kind of compare those two, and we were looking at Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 back then, you know. I know most of you guys remember, but uh, when we look at that, we understand that happiness is getting to pick what you're going to have for lunch today. It's that juicy burger or whatever you're going to have. Um, but joy is something deep down that can't be taken away from you. Joy is my son smiling at me. Uh, joy is, uh, you know, just those things that God has given you, those gifts that continue to give and aren't as fleeting. And so uh, there's a difference there. And what God promises us is not the happiness, but the joy the everlasting joy of the fact that what he gives us will not be taken away by someone who cuts us off on the freeway, but it will be something that can last eternally in our lives. And so, but the, the idea of that, how do we get there? How do we get from the bad times to the joy? And again, that's where Psalms 22 is going to walk us through. So I'm just going to start reading God's word, and uh, we're going to kind of walk through bit by bit of this, um, this verse or this psalm. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. What the, what the psalmist is, is saying here is that he's, they're going through a hard time. They're going through a hard time, and, and, and not only are they going through the hard time, but they can't even feel God in the midst of this suffering in the midst of their hurt. And I think that's important for us to understand because sometimes we can go through bad times, but we, we, we still feel connected to God. But there are going to be times, and I got to tell you, there have been times in my own life where I'm going through a hard time and I'm like, God, where are you in this? Like, I don't even understand what kind of lesson you're trying to teach me through this. I don't know if you put me on the shelf and are just like, well, I'm done with you. Well, wait till you get to heaven and then I'll talk to you some more. Like, what is going on here, God? And I, I have, I've, many times questioned, man, did I take a wrong turn? God, did I, did I get the, the frequency wrong on our conversation here? What is going on? 
And the psalmist here is saying that exact same, exact same thing. God, where are you in this? My God, my God, why are you gone from me? Why have you forsaken me? Why aren't we able to talk? But I think it's an important thing for us to understand here is that when we get to that place, not to stray away and just say, well, I guess he's done with me, so I'm done with him. But to truly call out to him in those moments and say, God, I don't know where you are, but I'm going to stand here. I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to talk to you until you hear me because I have nowhere else to go. God, I need you in my life. I need you in this situation desperately. And I don't care what it takes. I am going to cry out to you day and night. And I'm going to have faith that you will rescue me in this. And that's exactly what the psalmist does. And what's important is what they do next after this. To help build their faith, he, he does something very important. So let's read from verses 3 to 5. He says, Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. Their tr- they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. What he does next is he goes back to what he knows about who God is. He goes back to the things that he was taught, the stories about what God had done for the Israelites, to his ancestors. And I think that's important for us to do the exact same thing. When we feel lost, when we feel like joy is leaving us, when we're in the middle of those hard times, we run to God's word. We run to his word and we mine through it and say, God, you are the same yesterday, today, and today. Yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, 8. And so because you are, I can look to the scriptures and I can look to your promises and I can understand that those apply to my life too. And so God, I'm going to look to Psalms 34, 18 that says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I'm able to say, God, be close to me in this moment of my brokenheartedness. Be close to me, God, because your word says that you will be. And so I claim that for my life. I'm able to talk about 2 Corinthians 1 that says that you will comfort those in need. And God, I need your comfort because right now nothing else will do. And so I can claim those for my life. In the midst of our hurt and our suffering, the best thing that we can do is cry out to God, number one. And number two is run to his word. Is run to his word and say, God, I'm going to remember and be able to have my faith built up by your word so I can get through this. And that's exactly what the psalmist does. He, he references back to what God has taught him in the past. After this, he goes back to what he's currently going through. And I think this is important to do as well. Verses 6 through 8, it says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by my people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they said. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. See what the psalmist is doing? is he's comparing his theology with his current experience. What he knows about God with what he's currently walking through. I think this is important for us to, we're going to do this in life. We're going to read God's word and say, I I understand this is what it says, but how, how does that work in 2020? How does that work in my situation with my job, with my family dynamic, with my culture, with my whatever? And we we have to compare these things. What does God's word say and how does that truly affect my life? 
contextualization. It's, it's, it's bringing that, the Scripture to life today. And it's important to, to do that. And what he's doing here is he's starting to say, God, I understand that you're capable of saving me, but maybe I'm not worth saving. That's the psalmist's cry here. Am I worth saving? And I think it's important to always compare what we're reading with other Scripture, right? That's so why I think that one of my favorite verses is Philippians 1 through 6, or 1, chapter 1, verse 6, that says, uh, I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue His work until uh, it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I can't tell you the number of times that I have had a moment where I'm like, God, I don't know what we're doing here. But I can go back to the fact that I know God has been working in my life. I can go back to the moment when he first reached out to me and then he reached out to me again because I didn't respond the first time. And then he reached out again and he reached out again and he reached out again. And I can start to track back how he's been guiding my life, directing me towards him to live for him. And because I can see his, his work in my past, I can know that he will not quit on me. The past proves the present, proves the future. The fact that he has started a good work in me shows that he's going to continue a good work in me, which I can have faith that he will finish a good work in me. And it's going to continue on. And for each one of us, if, if you can trace back in your life a moment where you're like, God, I know you started a work in me, then have faith that he's going to continue his good work. God's not a God of just moments. He's not just going to show up for a moment and then leave. He's not that kind of father. He's the perfect father. He's in it for the long haul. He's here to build a legacy with your life. And so he's going to work with you over and over again. He's going to forgive you over and over. He's going to give you new grace each and every day. He is not done with you. He has not left you. And that's exactly what the, the psalmist does right after these verses. He, he says, God, you've been working in my life since I was, before I was even born. In, the, in your mother's womb, as she fed me, I w you were there with me. You called me. You drew me to you. And then in verse 11, he says, do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one else to help. What I want us to understand in this first section of this psalm is that it's okay to have lament. What lament means is it's a, a, passionate, uh, ex a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It's this idea that as sometimes in life as Christians, life is going to suck. It's not always going to be great. We're not always going to feel happy. We're not always going to get up in the morning and be like, it's a great day, let's sing a song, time to sing a hymn. In fact, there's many a hymns that are full of lament, and so you're going to turn to those and be like, all right, God, let's sing this one, right? And so uh, there are going to be times where life is hard, and that is okay. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be fed up, to be angry. It's okay to have those feelings. Christians shouldn't try to be fake. We shouldn't try to slap on a smile and always pretend like life's hunky-dory. In fact, I think what we're called to be is authentic in our walk with Christ. To be able to come into church one day and not feel like you have to be like, how's life? Good, everything's great. But sometimes to be like, it's been a rough one. It's been a tough week. 
So if you could pray for me, that would be great. Church should be that place where we can be our authentic self. And that's what God calls us to be with Him. To not always pray and just be like, hey God, things are great. But to truly say, God, I don't even know if you're here with me, but I know that your word says you are, so I'm going to have faith in that. And I'm going to keep trusting that until I feel it again. Authenticity matters. I think as we, we, we start to live in that way, it will be able to start to see this transformation in our life as we live in that authentic way, as we, as we reveal our, our uh, moments of uh, lament, of sadness, and being able to truly live what God calls us to live. And what I mean by that is we're able to just get down to business instead of always skirting around it, of always trying to slap on the face and say, oh yeah, everything's good, everything's good, don't pay attention to me but to truly be honest with each other and, and to be humble with each other, to ask for prayer, to ask for uh, help at times. And what I love about this is the process that happens here in Psalms 22. Because he continues on, he talks about how the world is against him, how, how the people around him all mock him for trusting in God, how they, they want to crush him and hurt him and, and destroy him. And he finally comes to a point of just saying, God, I, I have nowhere else to go. You are it. And so it says in verse 19, it says, But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouths of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild ox. The author here humbles themselves and says, God, I need you. You're all I got. If you don't come through, then everything's going to go away. Am I the only one who finds that absolutely terrifying? Am I the only one that has these kind of trust issues that when, when someone says, God, I'm, you're, you're all I got, that I'm like, okay, I'm trusting you, but I have a lot of past history that shows me that when I trust in other things besides myself, they don't always work out great. Maybe that's just my own brokenness, and that's cool if that's all it is, but I have to say that there are moments that I'm worried when all I have is God, and I don't have something in my back pocket that's also going to help me. In fact, many times I find myself that when an issue comes up in my life, that I try to do the opposite. Instead of trusting in God to handle it, I say, God, get out of the way because I need to handle this. Apparently, you fell asleep at the wheel, so let me take this. That's my... So, so when the bills are piling up, I don't sit there and pray, God, I need you to come into this situation and help me with this. Or if there's a medical situation, I don't say, God, I'm trusting you with this. My thought is, nope, we're going to fix this. I'm going to go get a second job. I'm going to uh, try to do this side hustle. I'm going to work harder so that I can make sure that I can provide for my family. And God, you just get out of the way and I'll handle this for a bit and I'll put you back in once it's all fixed. And I got to tell you, it never ends up good. And I want to make sure that I'm clear on this. I'm not saying that working hard or getting a second job or having a hustle is bad. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying the attitude in which I personally bring into those moments is what's wrong. It's when my trust is in myself more than it is in God is the issue. 
And it's going to look different for each one of us, whatever that moment is, that you want, to, you want to sidestep God for a moment and say, God, I'm going to take control of this. Instead, we need to do exactly what the psalmist does. Hand it over to God and say, I need you to come into this. Otherwise, it's all going to go away. What's amazing about this moment is from here on out, after verse 21, from 22 to 31, this psalm turns from a, a, a psalm of lament and then a prayer to a psalm of victory. He claims victory after this moment. After this moment, he just starts to say, God, I will spread your name to everyone. I will, I will glorify you to all the nations. And, and at the, the end of the verse, I'm just going to read it, verses 27 to 31, he says, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who uh, cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to the people yet unborn, he has done it. He has had victory over my situation. Now, the psalm doesn't tell us that the person who wrote this, that their issue went away. As I was studying up on this, that's some theories that God had a miracle for this person, and that's why the psalm changed but I have a different theory. I think that the psalmist just reconnected with God. We remember at the very beginning that he, he is having this disconnect moment. And at this moment, it seems like the relationship has changed. That he has felt reconnected with God. That he has remembered who God is in his life. And I think that same thing can happen to us. Even when our situation doesn't necessarily change, that we can find joy in God because we remember that God's in control of everything. In the midst of the hurt and the suffering, as we hand things over to God and trust Him with our pain, we are able to find hope, a miraculous hope, a miraculous joy and victory in Him. I think the perfect example of this is Jesus. Matthew 27, I'm just going to run through it real fast. There's this moment uh, where Jesus gets a very... Uh, a, a, a terrible trial where it's all set up against him. And, and, and instead of uh, providing or using his power to, to change things, he, he instead allows himself to be taken prisoner. He's sentenced to death. And then the, on his way to that, they beat him. Beat him so mercilessly that he doesn't even look like a human being, the scripture says, after it. He's beaten so badly. After this beating, he's forced to carry this massive wooden log that will soon be made into his cross. And he's, he carries it a long distance. And, and he's, so, he's so hurt that he actually can't do it himself. And, and someone else is forced to help him with it. As he gets there, he's laid upon this, this log, this cross, and, and he has nails driven into his body. He's, he's hurt, he's broken devastatingly painful act. He's then lifted up. And, it, and when they do so, that the, the way that the cross is set up is you couldn't actually breathe. You suffocate as you're on the cross. 
And so it exhausts you and it, and it suffocates you. And so each thing he says, he has to struggle to get out. And to be able to say it is, is, is a, a feat on itself. And in that moment on the cross, right before the end, Jesus screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalms 22. In the midst of the pain, in the most painful moment, close to the end, he screams out back to the process of Psalms 22, which is not a psalm of lament, but is a psalm of victory. It's a psalm of the process of getting to the victory. He's reminding us that it's going to take some hard moments, but he has ultimate victory, and he has done it. And three days later, he proves it. The tomb is empty. He is risen, and he ascends into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. And that same thing is involved in each of our lives. Even as you go through the hard times, even as you go through the hurt, to remember that the tomb is empty, that the God that we serve is alive and well and is able to, to be there for us. He shares in our sad moments, but he also has the ability to change them as we trust him in those moments. I think the biggest thing that I want us to understand is this, is that Jesus is waiting for us to hand over those, those hurts, the things that we want control over, the, the, the pain and the suffering to him. And we'll find Jesus in the handing over. The joy is in the trust. The joy is in the handing over. The joy is the letting go and accepting that God has full control in it. And as we do so, we find an abundance of joy to say, God, you got it. It's completely opposite of what's natural to us. Instead of taking control, we let go. It's exactly the kingdom of God. So my question for you today, as we conclude, is this. Where is your joy? What do you find joy in? Do you, do you trust God in the moments of your suffering, of your hurt? I mean, in a couple days, like Tony was saying, we're going to have an election and there's going to be half of our nation that are going to be very happy and the other half of the nation that's going to be very unhappy. But as Christians, where do we find our joy? We find it in Jesus alone. And so if you have never done that before, I want to invite you to do that today, to find a new joy, to let go of whatever you're hanging on to. And if maybe you have done that before, and maybe you just need to redo that, because i got to be honest, that was me this last week. Uh, one of the other things about preaching is usually God's going to teach you in a very tangible way. And so, of course, this last week, as I got ready to preach about joy and suffering, it's been a rough week. But God's been good. And so, if you've done it before, I want to invite you to do it again. To just say, God, I want you to have everything, um, and I trust you with it all. So you pray with me? God, I thank you so much that the tomb is empty, that you are risen, and that you are still involved in your creation. And God, I, I pray right now that each one of us, wherever we're at with you, would be able to hand something over to you. Whatever it is that you're laying on our heart right now, whether it's the finances, whether it's the family, whether it's whatever, God, that we would be able to hand those over to you and say, God, I trust you with whatever results come back. 
I trust that you have the best thing in store for me to, to, to bring me to a place that is more like you in the very end. And so, God, I pray that each one of us would be able to do that. And, and God, I pray that you would meet us where we are. For those of us who have felt distant from you, God, that you would, you would help us to remember who you are through your word and through past experiences. And God, I thank you that you are not done with us. God, I pray that each one of us today would be able to remember the joy that you've given us, that eternal joy throughout our life, and be able to share that with others the rest of this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we get ready to, to head out of here, I, I just want to send you off with this blessing from Philippians 1 6, my favorite verse, like I said, which is this is that I am certain that God, who has begun a good work within us, will continue his good work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And so go and remember that God is doing a good work in your life. Share that with someone. Be blessed. Thank you so much.